Hey, what's up? Great to see you guys. Thanks for hanging out at Willow this weekend. Hey, uh, my name is uh, my name is Mike. In case we never met before, and uh, thanks for allowing me to come back. I want to welcome all the campuses: North Shore and South Lake, and Wheaton, Huntley, Crystal Lake, South Barrington, Chicago. Those of you that might be joining us online, and thanks to everybody that makes that happen every weekend, so we can all do this together. Uh, we are uh, we are in this. Uh, family series that we're calling One Big Happy Whatever, and uh, Matt last week actually talked about the, the value of having honest conversations in a family, how bringing stuff from the dark into the light, if you, if you missed it catch, it, catch it online. But they asked me to continue in this series this week, but coming from the old man perspective, that's what they told me. You know, you're, you're because I, I'm, known as, I'm known as dad to three, and I became a 44-year-old grandfather, and now I am papa to nine of those rascals. In fact, I'm known, uh, I'm known to my kids as Papa Uber because I take them everywhere. I get texts all day long, pick this one up from soccer practice, take this one to baseball practice. She's got something at school. I'm, just, I'm on call all the, all the time. In fact, when I left yesterday, we had 18 different kids in our pool. Uh, it's just, our, our, our home is just full all the time. I get to do ministry with my kids. Uh, I got to hang out with my boys on a uh, short golf trip uh, last month for a few days, uh, getting ready for a, a big family vacation slash trip, more trip than vacation. We have 33 people in the same lake house for a week. Uh, 18 of those people are kids, 12 or seven and under. It's wild. It's so much fun, so much life. But I feel so blessed to be engaged and active and, and involved in our, in our kids' lives. So as I, as I prep for this weekend, I was thinking back to what Debbie and I really wanted our kids uh, to know. What kind of values did we want to see get instilled into them while they were growing up? And what kind of life did we want to see our grandkids uh, experience? What would I love to see them chase after and pursue? So after giving it some thought, it all kind of centers around a part of a little prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, the NBA finals are, are on now, and we might see teams huddle up in midcourt or they gather in the locker room. Maybe they, they take a knee and they pray together what's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, you may have experienced that as an athlete yourself, or maybe you grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer in the family you grew up in or the church you, you went to. Back, back when I used to sing a little bit at weddings, yes, I am a former wedding singer, uh, I probably sang the Lord's Prayer dozens of times and also Endless Love, which is awful. But... Uh, so what I want to do, I want to, I want to throw up that, that prayer on the screens, and if you feel comfortable, we're going to put it in the old King James Version, and we'll, let's just read it out loud, loud together from the screens, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That seems like a lot of us are familiar with praying that prayer. Now, of course, we should never pray in a rote, formulaic, ritualistic kind of way, but it has served to shape 
many of our prayers where we come to God honestly in our own way, with our normal voice, with the way we talk and not in some King James language, but we come to him as the holy name above all names. We come to him as a good, good father, our provider, our forgiver, our source of life, and we just pour out our hearts of gratitude, our our hearts of, uh, of disappointment, our raw despair, our confusion, our doubts, our grief, and our praise. And I love the little section of the prayer where Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, more simply, we're praying, oh God, may up there come down here. You see, there are so many kingdoms in this world trying to recruit and sway and entice and vie for our kids' allegiance. And, and more than anything else, I want my kids and my grandkids to know the Father, and I want them to pursue the only kingdom that's worth pursuing. I want his kingdom values to become our family values. You see, the kingdom of God was central to the teaching and the mission of Jesus. He talked about the kingdom of God all the time. If you'll read the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels or just the Good News. Jesus told all kinds of stories, all kinds of metaphors and parables to expand our understanding of this thing known as the kingdom of God. For instance, Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, he said it's, it's like a banquet. He says it's like, it's like a wedding feast. It's a, it's a place of, of laughter and love and joy and singing and dancing and celebrating. It's just this blowout party. And the cool thing about this party is everybody is invited to the party. The host wants everyone to come. Now, tragically, not all will RSVP. But Jesus said the kingdom of, the kingdom of God is it's like a buried treasure hidden in a field. And he tells this really cool story about a guy that finds this buried treasure buried in a field. And one problem is he doesn't own the field. So he enters in negotiation with the farmer trying to buy the field. And he gets a price. And the price is pretty steep. But this guy knows what is buried in that field. So he knows it's more than worth it. So this guy goes home. And he has a garage sale. He sells his Bowflex. He sells his boat. He sells his PlayStation. And he gets enough cash to buy that field with the treasure. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. Once you find it, you'd be crazy not to give up everything you have so that could be yours. He talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny mustard seed. And from that tiny, tiny seed comes this huge and expansive tree. And that tiny seed of faith that gets planted in me and you, it begins to grow and flourish in amazing ways. And we become noticeably different people over time. And speaking of seeds, he said the kingdom of God is is like a farmer who sows some seed. And he says those who will receive the seed, the word of God, with hearts that have been like cultivated with humility, talking about good soil, those hearts that have been fertilized with gratitude, oh, those people, they will produce a whole lot of incredible fruit in their life. Again, he said the kingdom of heaven is like like yeast, that that it causes hope to rise wherever it permeates. He talked about the kingdom all the time. One time he picked up a little kid. He said, unless you become like this little guy, this little girl, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. One day directing his words to the religious hypocrites, he told them that not everybody who pretends to know me will enter the kingdom of God. And he told those same religious Pharisees that they were in fact slamming the door of the kingdom in the face of the common people. He told all of us, if we would just seek his kingdom first, if we would learn to depend upon him like the birds of the air do, like the flowers of the field do, then everything we need in this life would be provided for us. 
And gang, I want my kids and my grandkids to pursue that kingdom. So what is a kingdom? I heard somebody say that a kingdom is your sphere of control. It's where you rule. It's this little empire that you control that is set to your taste, your likes, your purposes, your value, and your character. It's an environment arranged according to how you like it. So maybe with that definition in mind, do you have any little kingdoms? Would you say my kitchen is my domain? Yes. My kitchen is my domain, or my garage is my domain, my workshop is my my office is my domain. You got any little kingdoms? My truck. Yeah, it's my kingdom. I have my seat set just right for me. I have the mirror adjusted for my height, and the side mirror is exactly the way I want to view side traffic. When my wife Debbie drives it, I don't like to have to readjust all that stuff. It's my seat, my mirrors, my truck. I got my XM radio station programmed to the stations that I like. I got the bass and the treble set exactly right. Got a little more treble in the mix and I got bass. I got a little more going on in the back speakers. Usually got my window down, got my arm out, got my hand out doing this thing. I got my phone charger exactly where I want it. My cup holder and my smoothie cup with three-day-old protein residue in it. I got it exactly where I know where it is. I got my insurance card, my registration card where I can find it. I got snacks in the console. I got my sunglasses tucked up in that little holder in in the roof. I got my tie-down straps in the back in my bed to hold down stuff when I go to Lowe's and Home Depot. Don't mess with my truck. It's my domain. It's my kingdom. It reflects my style, my character, my order, what I like, and how I like it. Okay, the more I've rambled on, this is such a lame illustration. But I'm saying this to say this. God's kingdom is the place that perfectly reflects his character, and his values. It's his expansive domain where things operate exactly the way he likes them to. Therefore, it's a place of joy and truth and grace and healing and light and compassion and forgiveness and peace. And it is a kingdom that is right now and one that is to fully come in the future. God's kingdom is a wonderful place because he It's wonderful. It's a good place because he is good. It's a kind place because he is kind. It's a just place because he is just. It's a strong place because he is strong. God's kingdom perfectly reflects who he is. So we pray, oh God, may up there come down here. I want to show you a little word that's helped me and my kids think about the kingdom of God. In fact, one of my kids came up with this word. It's the word modnik. The G is silent. Modnik. And you look at this and go, is that like a Greek word? Is that a, is that a Hebrew word from the Old Testament? Is it Aramaic? No, it's just a word that I think accurately describes God's kingdom, which is so different than any other kingdom on this earth. And it is the one kingdom, the kind of values I want to, as Matt said, echo in my kids' and grandkids' hearts. So I want to just work through this word modnik, just one letter at a time. You see, in God's kingdom, the M stands for more is less, and less is more. See, it's conveyed to our kids that in the kingdoms of this earth, more is more. I mean, that's the rule of our society. That's the quest. That's the pursuit. You perform, you gain, you climb, you accumulate, you win. And all those things can and should be done in a good God-honoring way. But the tagline of the kingdoms of this world is, however you got to do it. 
No matter how many people you got to step on or over, you do it because it's all about you and building your kingdom, your empire. More is more. But not so in this kingdom. Matthew wrote it down what Jesus said to a group of followers one day. He says, listen, if you want to be one of my followers, you got to give up your own way. you got to take up your cross and follow me. I mean, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will give up your life for my sake, oh, you're going you're to save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So Jesus comes along. He says, listen, the more, the more you're looking for is found in less. In this kingdom, the way to become full is to empty yourself to lay down your pride, to lay down your rights, to lay down your attempts to control all the outcomes and just follow wherever I lead you. He says to all of you recent graduates, you want the adventure of a lifetime? You want this thrill ride? Well, you loosen your grip. Give up your control and surrender to my leadership and I will lead you on adventures you never dreamed you would get to go on. You see, in this countercultural kingdom, the kingdom of God, more is less and less, oh, so much more. And I want my kids and my grandkids to know that truth and embrace that truth. In fact, in this radically different kingdom, it's always others first. It's always others first. I want to show you a scripture that I've made every couple memorize that I've ever uh, married. I've used, in fact, I've used it in all three of my kids' weddings. Uh, we, we've done a Sunday lunch in our home for as long as I can remember. I mean, today, Debbie will gather with 20, 30 people in our home and circle up and pray and before we eat. And we do it every week. And she'll always get them all circled up. And there's grandkids and friends and cousins. And Debbie will ask, anybody got a verse? And some little kid will go, oh, I got one, I got one, I got one. So the way we do it on Sunday is we, we'll, we'll repeat. They'll say a little phrase and they'll repeat it back. So could you read this scripture with me the way we do it at Sunday lunch? I'm going to say a little bit and you say it back. Here we go. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. I want my kids to know that. You teach and you model to your kids. Listen, people don't power up on other people in this kingdom. People don't bully people in this kingdom. They don't degrade people in this kingdom. They don't make fun of people. They don't use, they don't abuse other people in this kingdom. No, they honor other people above themselves. They attach a high price tag to every person. They live out this radical new commandment that Jesus gave when he said, go love people as I have loved you. People in this kingdom, they don't lie or cover up. They love the truth because he is the truth. They don't cheat to get ahead. They never flex their position or their title to impress other people. They never pay back evil for evil. They don't hold grudges. They don't seek revenge. In fact, as far as it depends upon them, they just try to live at peace with everybody. And they're the very first ones to pick up a mop. They're the very first ones to scrub a toilet and throw a towel over their arm and just go serve somebody. It's an other's first kingdom. Right before his crucifixion, Jesus, guys... Right before, he, right before he died, Jesus' guys were all, all gathered in an up, upstairs apartment, and, and they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit where, and who's going to be in position of power, and that kind of stuff. And Jesus gives them four words that have been a game changer for me as a dad, as a husband, as a granddad, as a friend, as a pastor, as a neighbor. And I think there are four words that we all need to be reminded of from time to time. And these are four words I want to echo in my kids' ears and in my kids' hearts. 
says this. Jesus called them together and said, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, their high officials exercise authority over them? Talking about the Romans. Here's those four words. He said, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become your slave. Just as the Son of Man, talking about himself, did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the kingdom of God is a not-so-with-you kind of place. So this week, when you're tempted to power up, hear those words, not-so-with-you. When you're tempted to pull in front of everybody in traffic and cut in line, not-so-with-you. When you want to post some negative rant on social media, hear those words, not-so-with-you. When you want to pay back your brother or your sister for the way they hurt you, not-so-with-you, because it's another's first kind of kingdom. In this kingdom, you actually descend. That's what the D stands for. You descend into greatness. I used to tell my kids all the time, you've probably heard this as well, that ego stands for edging God out. And you and I can get so full of ourselves that there's no room for anybody else, including God. And eventually, ego locks you up in a self-imposed prison. And I spent too much of my life in that solitary confinement, and it's a crappy way to live your life. So Jesus comes along and he says, there's a much better way to live your life. Just watch me. And he taught and modeled this radical version of humility that unlocks that prison cell of pride. Jesus comes along and redefines greatness, saying that in this kingdom, you actually descend into greatness. There's this awesome passage of scripture in Philippians 2 that follows that little verse. We repeat it back to each other. Don't be selfish, that verse. It became one of the favorite worship songs of the early church. And I think the reason they, they sang it a lot is because they wanted to be reminded of the way Jesus lived his life, the way he modeled this radical version of humility. So if any song is going to be on your kid's playlist, it, it ought to be this one. Check it out. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's the first step toward greatness right there. That's how you begin to lay your ego on the altar. You just roll out of bed every day, and you make a conscious choice, and you ask the Holy Spirit to remind you throughout the day that you are not the center of the universe. You say, today, in regard to my own self-importance, in regard to my own ego, I choose, I choose to have the same mindset as Jesus, who really is the center of the universe. So you begin with, I choose to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now that word, in the very nature God, is the Greek word morpha, which means the essence of. So this doesn't mean that Jesus was sort of like God. Or that Jesus had a few godly characteristics, or from time to time, Jesus could summon up some supernatural magic. No. Who being in the very nature of God, the very essence God, in reality, he was God, is God, creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians chapter 1 says that all things, all things were created by him and for him, and he holds all things together. So he is God in the flesh, God incarnate. He was, is fully God, the great I am. But Jesus made a choice. He said, even though I could, 
I'm not going to cling to my divine rights. Even though it all actually is mine, I'm not going to clench my fist and hold tightly to what is rightfully mine. I'm going to open up my hands. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to lay my ego on the altar and surrender fully to the will of the Father. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I know some of y'all might be downscaling these days. Some of you might be empty nesters. You're going from a two-story house to a one-story because your knees were shot. Or maybe you're moving out of your parents' house. You're getting ready to move into a tiny little dorm room. Or maybe you're going from a monster truck to a Prius. I don't know. We all, we all downscale eventually. But man, talk about downscaling. Jesus goes from transcending all time and space to being fenced in by Middle Eastern geography. He goes from absolute perfection to learning how to walk, having ear infections and zits and throwing up and experiencing hunger and exhaustion to know what it feels like to be hot, to sweat, to get the chills, to be made fun of, rejected, laughed at, spit upon, excluded, beaten up, stripped, humiliated, nails driven through your hands and feet. And make no mistake about it, he did not lay down his divinity. He just laid down his self. He crucified his ego. He nailed his self-interest to the cross and thus saved us all from ourselves. And all he's asking you and me to do is do the dishes without griping. (laughs) To go last in line to let somebody else have the parking spot. The one who voluntarily went to the cross is asking you and me to apologize to our spouse, to tell our daughter how proud we are of her, to treat your little brother with respect, to tell somebody what they mean to you, to walk across the street and serve your elderly neighbor. Because in this kingdom, in this kingdom, you lay your ego on the altar and you actually descend into greatness. And since this, is a, since this is a kingdom of selflessness, you might also imagine it's a place where generosity flows like a river. Man, I want my kids to grasp that. I want my grandkids to grasp this. You see, most kingdoms of this world are a, are a game of thrones, so to speak, all about conquering, all about plundering, all about stockpiling assets, but not in this one. In this one, oh, man. Generosity just flows like a river. The leader, Jesus, said, give. It'll be given to you. In fact, it's a lot better to give than it is to get. It's not about the accumulation of stuff. You will never find happiness in building your own little empire, Jesus said. And when Jesus said all that, he wasn't unpacking a message on tithing at a church. He was just stating a fundamental law of life, that generosity is simply the best way to live your life. And man, I want my kids and grandkids to experience that kind of life, don't you? And many, many of you know what I'm talking about, because a lot of us used to be so self-centered and so stingy with our stuff. 
And now we're experiencing the fun and the freedom of generosity. I mean, when you know that a sizable chunk of your income is going to like build an orphanage somewhere in this world, when you're using your resources to feed hungry kids and clothe hungry kids around the world or somewhere in the city, when you are bringing hope to inmates or victims of sex trafficking or the homeless, when you are advancing the cause of of the local church of Jesus all over Chicagoland and beyond, it is such a deeply satisfying thing. Plus, secular studies back all this up. There's a whole bunch of studies that have been done that show that the happiest people on the planet are people who give themselves away. Research shows that people who are generous with their home, with their hospitality, with their food, with their time, with their money, people who just give themselves away, who volunteer, who coach, who mentor, those people who serve other people tend to flourish in their life. And I want my kids and grandkids to experience that kind of life. Now, I said it before, but did you, did you catch how the G in Modnik is silent? Generosity always is. It never brags about itself. You see, in this kingdom, in fact, we sing not to us. Not to us. Now, you and I do feel a great sense of accomplishment when, when, we're, when we're used by God. It's gratifying to know that, that we're, by giving and serving, we're making a difference. It's just such a great feeling. And I want my kids to experience that kind of life. But even then, they need to know it's, it's not about us. Even that's not about us. You know, one time, Jesus had a group of people gathered on a hillside They were looking for purpose and meaning in their life. And Jesus looked at them and he said to them, he said to us, you, yeah, I'm talking about you. You are the light of the world. Those are your marching orders. Just go shine. So if you're looking for some vision right now for your life, there you have it. If you're looking for some vision for what's next for this church, there it is. Just go shine. Just go shine. You know, last time I was with you guys in in January, which was 92 degree difference than this weekend, I... uh, I read a spoken word that my, my daughter wrote. Um, but since then, I actually wrote one on my own. And uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep one day. I got up, and I just got my laptop out, and I started wrote, writing. And it just, like, flowed out of me. I, I love how the Bible begins where it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And I just kind of had that on my mind. And so I woke up. And this is what just flowed out of me at three o'clock in the morning. This world has grown dark, surrounded by night. And Jesus cries out, let there be light. When kids are abused and women are used, oh, let there be light. When men are judged by their color or the race of their mother, let there be light. When hearts are broken and cruel words are spoken, let there be light. When markets crash and hopes are dashed, when dreams are squelched and a friend cries for help, oh, let there be light. When addictions wreak havoc and self-destruction becomes habit, when prodigals are lost and look for a way, when depression comes and clouds the day, oh, let there be light. When children grow hungry and corruption robs their dreams because nations oppress and politicians scheme, oh, let there be light. When Satan spins lies and identities are stolen, when you're made to feel useless and shame becomes normal, let there be light. When minds become foggy and confusion takes over, when the truth becomes blurred and love becomes colder, let there be light. You are the light 
of the world. Shine, guide, warm someone's soul, a reflection of love from the giver of hope with kindness and compassion. Move through your day so others might see that there is a way, a way that brings life and freedom and glory to the only true God who is writing this story, the epic story of love so relentless and fierce that it led to a cross where his hands would be pierced so all could live forgiven and free from the night that all may know the source of all light and this light will never be contained. It cannot be put out, snuffed out, restrained. Though many have tried, his light still remains. May his compassion be caught through us. May his love be brought by us that this world may spot in us Jesus, the light of the world. This is our calling, our destiny, our life to walk through our world saying, let there be light. Jesus told us, you are the light of the world. Go shine. As a parent, that's your job description. Go shine. As a grandparent, go shine. Friends, go shine. Neighbors, go shine. Teammates, classmates, coworkers. That's our job description. Go shine. And then he said this. Check this out. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That's why we shine. One of the things I love about the teams at Willow at every campus that get on the stage to lead us in worship or whatever is that nobody is seeking the spotlight. Everybody's goal is just to throw a floodlight on God. In fact, in our hearts, we sing the words of Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love, because of your faithfulness, Again, God wired us up so that we would experience the fun of using our gifts and bringing some light to this dark world. But even in that, in this kingdom, we're not clamoring for credit. We're not seeking applause. We don't have to get thank you notes. We're not chasing likes on social media. We deflect all praise, all applause, all honor to the one who put breath in our lungs because it's a not to us kind of kingdom. And unlike most kingdoms, See, most kingdoms have become these exclusive little clubs you know, with velvet ropes and big bicep bouncers standing there or these vast empires with high impenetrable castle walls and moats that are filled with alligators. Oh, the kingdom of God, so radically different. It is inclusive, radically inclusive. All right, real quick survey. Which decade had the best music? This current decade, like from, now, from 2010 to now, what about 2000 to 2010? Anybody say that one? What about the 90s? Who would say the 90s, best decade in music, right? Anybody say 80s? You know, the thriller and all that stuff. You're all wrong. It's the 70s. 70s were the best decade of music. That just said there's a lot of old people here. Um, but there's a group called the Five Man Electrical Band. And, uh, and, and I think another group named Tesla came along later and covered the song. But it was a song called Signs. Anybody remember this song, Signs? And the chorus kind of went like this. Signs, signs everywhere, sign. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? That's the way the song went. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were good at that. They hung up lots of signs. They were all about do this, don't do that. Can't you read the signs? So they created this exclusive little religious country club designed to keep the undesirables out 
In fact, they even labeled people as quote unquote notorious sinners. So Jesus tells these kingdom stories. He tells it about a lost, lost sheep, a lost coin, and two lost boys. And how the father of unfailing love and lavish grace wants everybody to be found. He wants everybody at home with him. In fact, he goes out of his way searching. And the one that he tells about the lost sheep, he says, how many of you got a hundred sheep and you lose one? You just leave the 99 and you go looking for the one, right? There's even a song we sing these days, Reckless Love of, of God, where it talks about leaving the 99 and going after, going after the one, how grateful we are. I think about a guy, I, I live in Ventura, California now, and, and uh, I teach at a church over in Valencia, about 40 miles away, and we were doing a baptism service one weekend, and there was this guy that walked down the water. He was a former Hell's Angel uh, guy, which used to have the headquarters in Ventura, and he had this tat on his, on his shoulder that said, that said 1%. It's a one percenter tattoo that a lot of the Hells Angels guys uh, would, would, would put on their body. Kind of, a, kind of a statement of lawlessness. We're the 1% that rules don't apply to. We do whatever we want to do kind of thing. He's standing there in the water after hearing us sing that song, Reckless Love, and talking about the sheep story. He goes, man, that 1%, that means something totally different to me now. I feel like I'm the 1% that Jesus came looking for today. It was so cool to, to watch that guy go down in the water. And it just reminded me how radically inclusive the kingdom of God is. It's for bikers and bankers. It's for bartenders and bus drivers, porn stars and painters, prom queens and principals, pediatricians and plumbers, Pharisees and pharmacists, presidents and pastors. He is full of grace and he looks beyond our faults, our flaws, our failures and loves us deeply. And I want my kids and my grandkids not only to experience that unfailing love of Jesus, but to also look at all people through his eyes and know that this kingdom is available to anyone and everyone. Everyone's included. And I for one am eternally grateful. You know, the people of Jesus' day, they were, they were expectantly looking for the kingdom to come. So when Jesus taught them this prayer, your kingdom come, they're going, absolutely, bring it on. Because they wanted Israel to be back on top. That they were looking for a king to show up, a powerful king, this eminent ruler. They were looking for like an economic savior. They were looking for a political messiah, a strong military conqueror to show up and squash Rome once and for all. That's the kingdom they were looking for. That's the king they were looking for. But instead in this kingdom, you know what makes it so radically different? There's a king on a cross. To a group of those hopeful followers who are expecting the kingdom of God to come, Jesus said this to them, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was gonna die. He was talking about establishing the kingdom but he's talking about a cross. How he was gonna do it was lay down his life, taking the punishment for the sins of the world, taking the rap for you and me. Gang, what kind of king does that? Our king does. I love what Paul wrote in Colossians 2. He said, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, he did it. He made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Our King Jesus 
loved us so much that he laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. He voluntarily laid it down and thus secured victory over sin and death. And he rose from the dead so that you and I could follow him into eternal life right now and when we die. What a king. Now, I know you all are smart people. and You've probably figured this all out by now. But Modnik is actually the countercultural, upside-down, inside-out kingdom. Y'all not as smart as I thought you were. <laughs> but I got to ask you guys, don't you want to be a part of a kingdom like that? I mean, all other kingdoms. All other kingdoms pale in comparison. I want to follow a king like that. I want to model my life after that guy. I want to be a part of a kingdom like his. I want my family values to be these kingdom values. I want my kids and grandkids to be a part of that kind of kingdom. I want you to be a part of that kind of kingdom, one that lasts forever. And I want to pray every day, our Father, may your upside down, inside out, backwards, countercultural, radically inclusive, selfless kingdom up there, may it come down here and use all of us to make that happen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, so, so grateful for so many things and none more than Jesus, you laying down your life for us. What, what, the, what an antithesis of worldly power. So grateful. And God, I, I really do want my kids and grandkids and all of our next generations to, to know that there is only one kingdom worth, worth pursuing. It's a radically upside-down countercultural kingdom, but man, it's where life is found. It's a place where more is less and less is more, and you always put other people first, and you, you don't climb on people. You descend into greatness. You serve, and you give yourself away generously. And, and, and even when you do that, you don't take the credit. You just deflect it all to the one who gave us life. And we never walk through our world with judgmental eyes. We're just looking at people as much love children of God that just need hope just the way our king did. And so, God, we're grateful for your kingdom. Uh, May up there come down here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.